0: Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's performance of My Favourite Flop. At this time, we ask that you turn up the volume on all cell phones, laptops, and car stereos as loud as possible. Please be advised that this production could contain Broadway shows with overall financial losses, those with less than 250 performances, some that had no national tour after their initial Broadway engagement, and Broadway shows that never actually opened on Broadway. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the show.
0: We're so excited you decided to join us again here at My Favorite Flop. I am your host, Christina Miller-Weston, and this is...
1: The amazing Bobby Traversa. The
0: one and only. The one and only. Thank you so much for coming back and joining us. Bobby, tell me, what have you been listening to?
1: Well, this week, I have been listening to one of my favorite shows ever. And it's a show I've actually never seen. So (laughs) why why not? (laughs) Even enjoy the show, really, uh, but I enjoy the music. Uh, it's the 1985 um, Off Broadway review "Personals." Now <gasps> I am listening to the London cast recording because, sadly, there was no original cast recording made of the Off Broadway production. Uh, but I love "Personals." Uh, it's Personals a fun is, one. It's I a did fun songs one. from it. It's a good one. It's it's people put songs from it in their audition books and they sing them in their cabarets. And, you know, for those of you who don't know, it is a musical review about answering personal ads, which is what people used to do before Tinder and Grindr. <laughs> um, and <laughs> you got write a physical didn't. paper <laughs> to write a paper thing. <laughs> and uh, what's cool about it is that the people who created personals, which did not do well. Ended up creating the TV show Friends, so really that successful I did not in TV know. land. Yes, so not only did they create the TV show Friends, they wrote all of the lyrics to the show, and then um, they had different composers come in and write the music. So Alan Menken wrote a couple songs, Stephen yep. Schwartz wrote a couple songs, uh, but it, that happened a lot in the '80s. Because your favorite review from the '80s, Diamonds, <sighs> the exact same thing, right? I love that show. Yeah, personal. check it out. It's really good. Oh, Christina, okay. So what have you been listening to this week?
0: I've been listening to Something Rotten.
1: Mmm. Okay. Which I got to
0: see on Broadway. Um, My husband saw it before me when they were in previews, and he has this amazing story of they got to the omelet sequence, and one of the eggs fell over.
1: (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) That I was gonna could get
0: back up. No. Oh, no. They literally had to roll this poor egg off stage. Oh, no. But that could be part of the show. It could easily be part of the show. It was not. <laughs> and the night I saw it was one of, one of my favorite things, was when Christian and Brian Darcy James do the tap-off, mm-hmm. and Brian... Brian Darcy James is so proud of himself that he got it right. <laughs> and you just see him go, yes. <laughs> <laughs> on stage in the moment. It was one of my favorite things I saw ever on oh. Broadway. Cause they just were having nonstop fun. And you can hear that in the cast album as well.
1: <laughs> oh so gosh. Good. Yeah. It's, it's one of the m- most fun experiences I've had at the theater. I, I think I saw it in previews as well, but I saw they did a presentation of it at the Little Schubert, which is not the same as the Big Schubert on Broadway, but it's on 42nd Street. It's actually a really cool theater, but they did. um, I I, I don't know if it was a backers audition or what, but it had Hmm. sets and costumes and orchestra and the cast. They didn't really have
0: time to not do those things, did they? Because they just skipped out of town all together and they were like, we're putting this together. It's happening now and it's going to Broadway.
1: Yeah, it was so weird. They rushed it because they canceled that out of town. They're like, it's going to Broadway. And everyone in New York was like, wait, what is something? What is going on here? And then they did this thing at the Schubert and it got people really excited about it. But the funny thing is, is I got tickets to that because I was working in the industry. Nobody would go with me. Like everyone was like, because nobody knew what it was yet. And I had to... Speaking of dating apps, I went on a dating app (laughs) and I invited somebody who was like, I like Broadway shows. I totally (laughs) did. I took someone from like Tinder or something and we had a blast. And then the show became, you know, fantastic on Broadway. And everyone who wouldn't go with me was like suddenly going. And I'm like, oh, now it's good. Now you want to go.
0: (laughs) Now you want to go. Okay. I think it's time for the clues, Bobby.
1: All right. Well, I want you to start them this week because I feel like I've started them for... For a couple of weeks in a row now. Yeah.
0: Okay. So at the end of the last episode, we gave you this clue. The main character of this musical has appeared in books, films, radio, mu- uh, TV show, and multiple theatrical adaptations.
1: Which is followed by clue number two, which is that lyricist Tim Rice originally came up with the idea of turning this into a musical, but he ultimately didn't stay with the project.
0: Hmm. Photo clue. A banjo.
1: A banjo. Which was followed by clue number four, uh, which was my blog post, all about five musical flops with major revisals years later. Because Mm. that's what happened to the show. Yes, very much so.
0: And then clue number five, which we're giving to you today, in case you haven't guessed it, is in the early days of the internet, instead of Googling something, you used to go to ask... Name of the show about it, which is
1: Drumroll. roll, oh. by, by Jeeves. Jeeves.
0: Yes, by Jeeves. So you would, I well, for you youngins out there, you probably have no idea what Ask Jeeves is, but it was the original search engine.
1: <laughs> it was the best. Like you, it you was like, the cause Google, best. You... Google and Yahoo you had to like type words in but this one you could ask it questions and did you know with Ask Jeeves they employed people to take your question and then give you the stuff in the early days oh wow so
0: there were people sitting at computers
1: waiting for the questions questions. so it's like why is why is the sky blue and they were like we're going to send you these articles it wasn't (laughs) automatic it was crazy wow so by Jeeves is a musical by Angela Weber, music yes, and Alan Akeborn book and lyrics and christina do you want to tell them what the show's about
0: okay so this show by jeeves is based on pg woodhouse's characters the rich and unworldly Bertie Wor- worcester. worcester sort of kind of said it right and his valet jeeves they first appeared in about 1915 as a short story in The Strand Magazine and went on to play and went on to appear, play, they're their own version of themselves, appear <laughs> in subsequent novels, plays, radio plays, television shows, and musicals. It follows a crazy hijinks that's masterminded by Jeeves. When Bertie's banjo goes missing at a local church fundraiser, he is left bereft um, has no idea what to do and jeeves encourages him to tell a story thus ensues a show within a show where all of the other performers jump in and play the subsequent characters and the bands of misfits like all good farces there's a sequence of mistaken identities complicated love triangles and a pig's head which That's is my right. favorite part of the show that all ends with a big, happy, closing group number with everyone dressed in Wizard of Oz costumes and accompanied by a silenced banjo. The musical. That all makes complete sense.
1: The musical. Uh there's a there's a lot to unpack here. No, so what's crazy is PG Woodhouse wrote musicals, but he didn't write this musical. Like he wrote some famous musicals, like his stuff's in showboat. He wrote with the Gershwins. He wrote with Jerome Kern, but not not by Jeeves.
0: Not by Jeeves. But
1: he authorized it.
0: Yes. You know, he's he gave them full license and said, Go have fun, and be merry. So um we should probably start with how this show kind of came to be. So um this is an Andrew Lloyd Webber, right? show, right? Um, right? and it came after things like Joseph and Superstar. Uh, which he did with Tim Rice.
1: Well, and it was actually conceived by Tim Rice. Tim Rice was the one who was like, you know, we did Joseph, it was this kid's thing, and we did Superstar, it's this, you know, groundbreaking rock opera, let's do a musical comedy. And Andrew Lloyd Webber was like, not only do I love Jeeves, he's also like, I don't feel like there's been a really successful musical comedy since a funny thing happened on the way to the Forum. He felt that throughout the 60s, there hadn't been a huge successful Real, you know, book musical comedy since then. So no, because like, the
0: sixties, they really were a, a lot of the composers were trying to break down walls and change the game, um, right. and so yeah, there there definitely wasn't anything that was farce or even right. traditional musical comedy going on, not right. successfully, anyways.
1: Right, and so they 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 began working on this, and they realized. You know, with Joseph and Superstar, they'd never written a traditional book musical before. You know, they had written essentially songs that go together. I mean, they pioneered. Well,
0: their very first one ever that did not get any backing right. <laughs> at all was very traditional. And that was called Like the Likes of Us, which was mm-hmm. based on a true story. Uh, but again, not a musical comedy. It was sad and homeless children. And it was great. Which, um, <laughs> yeah. But that was that was a bit more of a traditional book musical, but it didn't get backing right and never right. It getting
1: made. So they ended up moving forward on this. and They realized they needed a book writer. And, you know, Alan Akeborn, who was this up and coming hit playwright in, you know, uh, London and I think on Broadway at that point, too, as well. He uh, they they you know, went to him and were like, Hey, do you want to write the book for this? And he also was a fan of the Jeeves and, and Bertie Worcester, Worcester uh, (laughs) stories. So decided to come on. And then Tim Rice left the project. Like how crazy is that? Like he, uh, do you know why he left the project? I couldn't find anything as to why he left. So apparently he had written some early lyric sketches and he didn't feel his lyrics were good enough to okay. match the pros of PG Woodhouse, so uh, okay. he's like, "I can't do this." And then he started writing Evita without Andrew Lloyd Webber. They he started doing research, right? Because that came out that the instead. year after, right? And uh, so yeah, Tim Rice left the project, and then Alan Akeborn, who not only never written a book for a musical, he'd never written lyrics, but all of a sudden he's like, "Okay, I'll do them," and huh. so it's fine. And look, we don't want to get too invested in the original production of this show because *By Jeeves*, the musical we're talking about tonight, is technically kind of, sort of, not really, but yes, a different musical <laughs> than the yeah. one that opened in the nineteen seventies. Uh,
0: yes, because they threw out the book and the and the lyrics and the uh, most of the songs. I don't. I think only the banjo boy survived.
1: Uh, well, technically six, technically six songs stayed, but do, do you know oh, one okay. of the main driving forces why they had to start over? No, why? Okay, so Andrew Lloyd Webber has this reputation of recycling material, especially if shows are not successful. And I know people like to give him a lot of crap for it, but it's actually something some of the greatest composers in Broadway history have done. You know, uh, if you look at West Side Story, Officer Krupke and America were both written for other shows. And put into that and you know rogers and hammerstein used to do it uh you know charles strauss does it so he actually Andrew Lloyd weber was advised by Hal prince because he started working with Hal prince right after this on evita right. he's like look your show didn't do so well but the music's great what you need to do is just don't re-release the album like cut it off buy back all the copies make it not available and he's like just reuse your music because it's great and so he recycled most of the original <laughs> Jeeves score into other projects <laughs> right. So by the time they got around to this 90s production so much of it had ended up in evita and cats and uh phantom oh, of the opera the other you things. know that's so, so funny they had to write uh, music because, yeah yeah anyway
0: well and that's i think that's a really interesting concept of this did not work so right. let's throw it out Keep the characters that we all know and love and that we know right. work, right? And let's try again. And that's a rare thing to get to happen on a large scale, right? Right. Like, generally, if something just completely fails, you don't get another try. You don't get to do a complete rehaul of the material. That's rare.
1: Absolutely. Um, well, a lot so, of times writers don't want to do it either. Everything is so right. dear to them. So the fact that these two, you know, legends, Angelique Weber and Alan Akeborn, decided to not only revisit the material but took a big red pen to it. That's actually pretty admirable because, or admirable, that's how you say the word, (laughs) Um, because they were willing to use their experience. Um, You know, Alan, by this point, had written other musicals and Andrew Lloyd Webber became one of the richest men in the world for writing musicals. Yes,
0: yes, he did. What makes me laugh about this changing the show was they're like, you know what? The first show was called Jeep's. We're just going to call it by Jeeves now, because that means it's a new show.
1: But they made a (laughs) big deal about that. They did. It was a very
0: big deal to them.
1: So it's called by Jeeves now, right? Yes. And we're in the the 1990s, and uh, they've decided to revisit the material and basically construct a kind of new show. Um, Yeah.
0: And I think some of that was inspired by the fact that you had Jeeves in Worcester, Jeeves and Worcester came out in the UK as a TV show with none other than Hugh Laurie and Stephen Fry, who right, um, right who are a big deal now at the time that they were two sketch comedy, young comedian actors uh, who were just starting out. And they had had a, like a late night show that they did together that they wrote together. And, and that's kind of what put them on the map. And then they, they got to do this. This TV show, and I watched some of it. It's really funny, and it also went oh, yeah. straight to the U.S. as well. Oh yeah, it didn't. It didn't like take years of being in the U.K. and then coming to the U.S. It, it came straight to PBS on Masterpiece, which is really really fun to me. I like that. It's well, and Angela formal. Webber
1: wanted to get them. He was convinced he could get them to star in the musical, like okay, as a tie That would
0: have been hilarious.
1: He it didn't happen obviously, obviously. but he I but mean I was, you know
0: I would have been here for that,
1: and I mean Andrew Lloyd Weber was a huge deal in the 1990s. I mean he got Madonna to star in the Avita movie in 1996, but Hugh Laurie wasn't that big of a deal yet, right? Well, not in
0: the U.S. We hadn't had House yet. Maybe it was just that they didn't want to take the time to. Do a stage show at that point, but that would have been amazing to see the two of them on stage
1: in something yeah. like this. The little like blurb didn't say why they didn't do it, but it said Andrew and Weber was convinced he could get them. They didn't end up doing the show. That's what ended up happening.
0: So after they did this rewrite, right? Um, and what I what I thought was really fun, I found um, some interview where they were talking about when they were first re-workshopping it, they were workshopping it in the round. and oh, wow. I, I think that would be a really fun way to do a farce, to do it in the round.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you... Uh, we'll, we'll post links to this on the website for everybody, but they they made a movie of the American cast... Right. up in canada and that's all on youtube now um and it, the set is very much like noises off with all right. the two stories and all the doors right and so right. they they utilize that set and it's very minimalistic which i love and i think is necessary for first there's just too much other stuff going on you can't have too right. many props you can't have too many um set pieces um but i think that like, I'm imagining it in my head if you were to try and do that in the round and you would have this middle piece, right? that is like like almost like a tower, two story. I don't know that this is how they did it. This is what I hear in my head. And okay. I just I don't know. I think that could really add to the funny.
1: Well, this show, it makes sense. You know, the movie isn't filmed in the round. But what's it's interesting, it it's reminds me a lot of the Joseph movie because the Joseph movie is like I'm watching a stage show but I'm watching it in a church auditorium or a, like a cafeteria or, or something, right? And this one, you're definitely watching it in this church auditorium. So it's yeah. stage bound, but it, the the characters in the show, instead of just being actors behind the scenes and on stage, they're in the audience. Mm-hmm. And in the round, I feel like you have that prime opportunity to be like, I'm going to pick all of you out. And that that yeah. whole introduction to the movie, you can see that, that Alan try to incorporate maybe what his original vision was when they filmed this quote unquote movie version uh, in Canada.
0: Yeah, that was something I really enjoyed about the film. Um, and it was my favorite part, which I think is kind of telling for a show like this. I mean, it, right. when it was on the West End, it was in a relatively small house. It still didn't do great, but it, it was in a small house. And then when it came to the U.S., they actually the journey to Broadway was a lot more so than i think other shows they basically did three out of town tryouts right right so they started at good speed and then they came to la and went to the geffen and then they went to pittsburgh at the pittsburgh public all of these are relatively smaller houses right and then Mm -hmm. they take it to broadway and it gets into a big theater and i think it just loses any sort of energy or specificity with the audience because it's in a big house. I mean, certain shows just don't do well. We saw that with Little Shop. The minute oh, yeah. it went to a big house, it just wasn't successful.
1: Oh, yeah, well, and they they put it into the Helen Hayes, which is one of the smallest, if not the smallest theaters on Broadway. But I mean, Broadway has strict, you know, the theater wing has strict and the Broadway League strict guidelines, you know, a Broadway houses have to have more than 500 seats. They have to, by, by yeah. jurisdiction. You can literally build a theater on 45th Street and Broadway. And if it has 498 seats, it's considered off-Broadway. I mean, the Snapple Center is physically on Broadway, and that's where the Fantastics closed. Um, so it was in one of the smallest theaters on Broadway, but you know, small on Broadway is not the same as small on the West End. We learned that with Taboo, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> very different experience.
0: It is and, a different uh, experience.
1: You know, and it's meant and to I be think...
0: immersive. They, the whole time, they're they're monologuing to the audience, right? right? Jeeves is constantly being like, well, this is what you did. Let me tell you what you did so that way you can kind of remember it, but you don't remember it because you didn't do it. But I'm going to tell you what it is. And he monologues <laughs> to the <be Right>.
1: audience. <laughs>
0: And so that interaction is what makes this kind of show special,
1: right? Oh, yeah. Well, and I think that so they had to fix a lot of problems to get this show to the West End, uh, you know, and in the UK where it did okay, you know. I mean, it wasn't like Cats, it didn't run for 18 years, you know, but it wasn't that kind of Webber hit, you know. But they bring it to Broadway and it has a lot. that happens. You Like you said, this journey is interesting and there's obviously more to the story. One of the things they had to do is they had to streamline it. The old version of Jeeves had like over 20 people in it. Yep. And it had a giant orchestra and it had huge complex sets and things like that where, you know, one of the reasons Forum, you know, funny thing happened on the way the Forum works is you've got three doors. <laughs> <Like> you have <laughs> a town square with three doors and Every production of that show that's ever worked has three doors, you know, and so no by more, no more, no less. And, you know, so they scaled it back. It's like 10 people. And I love the concept of it's whatever props he can find. So it's not like yeah. we're going to come with, you know, all these complex things are going to come out of these doors. You And know? that no. comes
0: from, I think, being setting it in a church theater, right? Right. In, right? In a town hall, basically, there's not a lot. It's like doing community theater to a certain extent. And you also have the you talked about how the original production had full orchestra and the whole nine yards and and this then became piano on stage and right. a guitar and a bass i think it's small. It was a really small band yeah it's like doing cabaret it's it's small and they're they're a part of the show as well which is fun I always
1: enjoy oh, that. Oh, yeah. Well, so do you think do you think it getting swallowed on Broadway is one of the main reasons it didn't do well? I mean, there were some other we haven't addressed them yet. There were some other worldly factors yes, that also there were going were. on.
0: I, I think that there are a couple of things that were happening. I mean, definitely the world factors. Um, this came out in 2001, October 2001. Right. And right after 9-11 happened. Um, and I did. I looked into exactly what happened with Broadway at that time, and they only shut their doors for 48 hours. Which is
1: insane.
0: And then everybody went back to work, and they still had shows. Like, houses were probably half full, maybe a little less sometimes, but they were still doing the shows. Um, Oh, yeah. And so to open a show following that, I mean, that's crazy to me. And that season on Broadway, I'm sure because of 9-11, there were actually less full book shows happening. There were a lot of Mm -hmm. concerts with stars that were going on and having longer runs. And that was a way to keep business going.
1: And then there were all those famous commercials, right? with like db new earth that was one of my favorites
0: and we had a couple other shows that everybody loves that just were swallowed up because of 9-11 you had assassins that didn't even end up opening it got canceled you had urine town but then the other flip side of that was you had mama mia which we all know saved broadway producers kiss me kate and because those were known comedies to a certain extent i think that's why they survived i think that this could have survived, but it's so outside the American comedy world, right? right? Like this is a true English farce. And Americans, we just don't grow up with that kind of comedy. No. And I listening to both cast recordings. So I listened to the original London cast recording from ninety six and then I listened to the Broadway cast recording from two thousand and one and there is a noticeable difference in energy and okay. timing and i think it's because the american cast as brilliant as they were and as much work that they put into it i just there's just something missing you know it, it they don't quite get it <laughs> it doesn't quite land well, so I which, think that can play into this.
1: Okay, so which 1996 recording did you listen to? Because there's something really special about the one they did at the uh, Scarborough Festival. Or the, is that the or one in... where
0: you have Jeeves monologuing?
1: I believe so.
0: And it's almost like a radio play?
1: No, no, no. That's the other one. That's oh, the other okay. one. That's
0: the one I listened to.
1: So there is an earlier one that's pretty fantastic. It's when they, when they first did it before it went to the West End, uh, they did it in Scarborough because... Uh, Alan Akeborn was involved with the um opening opening and the building of the new Stephen Joseph Theatre there and the show was getting positive response and it was so different than what they had gotten back in the 70s. Andrew Lloyd Webber literally spent the money to like ship in a mobile recording studio to the theater and the cast, like they recorded in like two days or something and they began selling it right away. So did they record
0: it live? Like while they were doing the show? Yeah, it's like,
1: it's this raw, like Oh, that's always my favorite.
0: And I personally think it's the best way to record a musical. There is a complete, like, I'll bring up Kinky Boots. I've done it before where the american kinky boots album is fine i'm like you can you get it and it's fun but when you listen to the west end recording of kinky boots it is a different experience altogether um same show same exact show except it's a better experience and i think that there is something so special about doing that recording the live show
1: yeah. And people feel the same way about Legally Blonde. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a huge fan of the OBC and I love Laura Bell Bundy. I know those are fighting words to some people. Uh, but Sheridan Smith in in the West End production. But it's not only just Sheridan and the rest of the cast. It's the energy of it being live. You know, yeah. it's just a, Certain it's, it's a magical it just, thing.
0: It's interesting you bring that up, how it feels so raw. When I listened to the Broadway cast recording of by Jeeves, I was like.
1: This is so clean. It's very clean. And
0: like almost so clean that like I don't care about listening to it because it doesn't feel like anyone has a point of view.
1: <laughs> it's yeah, it's very clean. It's It's clinical almost. Oh, I'm going to say something sacrilegious and uh-oh. I've done that before, but uh-oh. <laughs> you know, recently I was listening to Cast recordings from Forum, you know, and we're talking about farce, so I want to bring that up. The original Broadway cast recording of Forum, which I feel like a lot of people ignore because the revival has Nathan Lane and they all won Tonys for it. And it's fantastic recording, but listening to them back to back. OK, yeah, Nathan Lane, amazing. But you listen to that original 1961 cast of Forum and it's magical. Mm. It is magical in a way that that 1996 recording is just so clean that it takes the breath out of these big, fun farces. I think it, yeah. that's what it does. They edit the breath out in a lot of these modern cast recordings. Oh,
0: that's a really interesting point. I like that. I I wouldn't have thought of it that way, but you're right. It takes out, they take it takes the, out air. the air, the breath, which you need. Yeah. You need farce yeah. is so strange. And it's not necessarily something that we as Americans can do well. I mean, that being said, you look at something like Gentleman's Guide, right? Which we did it. Yeah. And it, it was very successful. I saw it on Broadway and I loved aspects of it, but I actually found some of it really difficult to understand. Okay. Mostly. And it's not because they're using English dialects, but it's because it's Americans using English dialects. And right. as someone who's listened to a lot of English dialects over the years and is married to a Brit, <laughs> when I listened to it, I'm like, I, the rhythm's wrong something's wrong and it takes me out of it and i don't know what's being said right and i yeah. felt that way with a lot of this all the jeeves moments in the broadway cast recording the actual actor who played jeeves is a gentleman called martin jarvis he is english right so all of his stuff feels natural and he understands where he's going also side note he did all the audiobook versions of the pg woodhouse short stories oh wow so like he lived with this character he's like the Fraser of musical theater.
1: <laughs> Fraser of musical theater. I love that. I love that.
0: Um, but a lot of the Americans, I just like, it, it, would, it would pull me out, right? And I wouldn't yeah. actually know what the point of the story was.
1: Yeah. And like, and I, there are some really fierce people in the American cast, like Donna yeah. Lynn Champlin. I am a huge, She's. <laughs> ugh. I mean, I love her, love her in all the things, specifically the things. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend.
0: Yeah, I've been I mean, recently watching Good Girls, and her and Good okay. Girls is absurd.
1: Really it's absurd. You just have to go watch it. Oh, I it. need to do it. Okay. Ugh. Um. But yeah, but even her, like in watching her, she's funny. She's very funny, she's and I so imagine funny. that she would be good in certain farces. But the accent is off. You're right. It, there's something, and it's and it's tough. To it's tough. The brain doesn't. It's well, yeah. And-
0: That being said, as an actor, if you're so concerned about how you sound, right, that then pulls you out of the moment and that can then mess with your timing. It can mess with all the things, you know, Um, and it's I'm not saying that Americans shouldn't try and shouldn't go for it. And I mean, I've certainly been cast as a Brit a few times in my career, but um, I, I think it's something we have to be conscious of. And and remember, at, at the base, we have to really be conscious of our timings and our rhythms. So that way it's about the words and not about all these other things that sometimes hey, get in the way.
1: And and it goes both ways. Like, you yeah, know, I love me some Snoopy the musical, but that London cast recording, man, I, those not American great. accents, nope. not, not <laughs> the best things in the world. So uh, it goes both ways across the Atlantic. It really does. Uh, it really does. Okay, We're equal so, opportunists here. So this show... I actually I'm going to venture to say I don't know if this show would ever be a huge success on Broadway. I think, you know, even with 9-11 not being involved and, um, you know, it I I just don't know in America if it has the right sensibilities for especially for a Weber show. You know, you expect the Weber show to run literally for decades. <laughs> so I just I don't know if I see a world with by Jeeves or Jeeves or any version of the show running yeah. for decades. But I don't
0: know. I think it could be fun. One of the things I noticed in the Canadian uh, film recording was the lack of physical energy. I was actually expecting a lot more physical comedy. I mean, you look right. at we have this thing in musical theater, a lot of original musicals actually take, they, they're they written in a contemporary time, but they're based in the 1920s, the 1930s.
1: We love the 20s. <laughs>
0: we do. And it's, it's also one of those, I mean, you've got things like Drowsy Chaperone, which is my everything. I love everything about that show. And it is all farce and it's all right. silly and it's all over the top, Right. And we do that, but there's a very distinct difference between the way America viewed that time and the way the the Brits viewed that time. Like the Brits right. viewed it as like this jinksy, like, oh, everything's so silly and whimsical and blah 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 blah. The Americans always think of the great Gatsby, right? And Paradise Lost and like this oh, yeah. over-romantic time in history. Um, And it it really comes out depending on who's writing for this period. And I I love watching that. I think that's really fun from a writing point of view.
1: Well, and so speaking the writing point of view, Jeeves, by Jeeves, Jeeves, because there's songs in both that are in both. It's an interesting Andrew Lloyd Webber score, because when I think of Andrew Lloyd Webber, I don't think of musical comedy. There are comedic moments in his shows. And mm-hmm. I would say maybe the closest to musical comedy that exists are maybe Cats and Starlight Express. But I, I think calling them musical comedy is, is, is a disservice to the experimentalness of them that they are. But you know, you think of Phantom, you think of Evita, you think of Superstar. Yeah, he maybe loves Joseph. a
0: big romance power ballad, man.
1: It's just it's epic music. Yeah. And Jeeves's music is is not as epic, but it still goes there. And you yeah. say that, but
0: the one or two songs that are epic like are the right. romance songs. Right. And they pull me out of okay. when listening to the cast recordings because I'm like, we're doing all everybody's doing these fun comedy songs. Even the ones that are slightly pulled back are right. still with this lightheartedness. And then right. all of a sudden there's this like sweeping like soprano and, well, and half a moment. Just and say and, the oh. name.
1: Half a moment. That's the yeah. song.
0: Um I mean. Um, But then you lose all the excitement of the song. Um, But yes, it's half a moment. And I'm like, this doesn't feel like it belongs in this show. You know?
1: Yeah. And then you have
0: my favorite song, which is It's a
1: Pig. Oh, my God. I love it. I mean, I love I love the Hello song because it's.
0: Yeah. I think it's fun.
1: It's kind of like a, a really nice cross section of. Like if a British farce were going to be a musical, you know, mistaken identities, we don't really know who's who. So we're just going to keep reintroducing ourselves in different ways (laughs) until somebody does something. It's a lot of fun. But again, a credit to Andrew Lloyd Webber as a composer. That song is a recycled pop song from the 1960s. I don't know if you knew this
0: one that he wrote.
1: Yes. So before Superstar and all of this. He and Tim Rice were going to write pop songs for all the people. <laughs>
0: I mean, that's they, not surprising at all.
1: And a lot of them ended up in Angela Weber shows. And a lot of them are, stay poppy and rocky. But the Hello song was sung by Yvonne Elliman, who was Mary Magdalene in the original Superstar. When she released the single version of "I Don't Know How to Love Him," they wrote this song called "What a Line to Go Out On," and it is the sixties tastic pop song that oh, is the I need Hello to go song. Find this. Oh, it's will be posted on our things right. because wait. like a back to back and it's gonna be like, here's the element <laughs> out the 60s pop song. And all of a sudden it's like, it's an list tradition. So he was able to hide <laughs> it like very well, I think. Um, I mean, he does
0: that w- with all the stuff that he recycles. I he he hides it well because he is able to recycle it in such a way that the emotion of the new space that it lives in. Right overrides the familiarity
1: well and you know i think if anything you know angeloid weber is very talented at a lot of things and not even just from a writing standpoint from a businessman standpoint oh, from a yes. producing standpoint from even just being a TikTok star you know he's <laughs> very TikToks good <laughs> he's very good at a lot of things but he is he is a he's a dang good composer he can write very very beautiful melodies and you, like you just said, his the way he composes, he can take his music and really explain what he's trying to con- convey as a theatrical writer. You know, I think it's one of the reasons, you know, Tim Rice is also very good at what he does and together mm-hmm. they're very good at what they do. But I think sometimes when you have very good people who are very good at what they do, You know, it's hard to collaborate all the time, you know, which is why I don't think we got 20 musicals from the both of them together, because Tim Rice is a very good lyricist. Android Weber is a very good composer. They're both very good at, you know, getting the dramatic effect of what they bring to the team. Right.
0: Well, and as you mentioned at the beginning with Tim saying, you know what, my lyrics are not matching what this show needs to be. So I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to say, let's find you somebody who can match it and i think that that takes a lot of confidence um and grace that Mm -hmm. not everybody has when they're in those positions especially after doing something like superstar and joseph which were massive worldwide hits
1: oh gosh you know
0: um and i think there's a lot to be said for tim rice's humility in that um and who he is as a person
1: so the broadway production opens on October 28th, like you said, it only survived until the end of December. It closed before the yeah. end of the year. Didn't even last uh, three months, right?
0: It didn't. And so, yes, aside from 9-11, which, of course, played a major part in the show closing, I think we also have to remember that this was a British farce written for British audience, not right. for an American audience, right? Unlike Gentleman Gu- Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, which was written for an American audience. Even Drowsy Chaperone. It was written for an American audience. It's American farce.
1: Right. And it didn't even do well in the in the West End when it transferred. So Right. And we've
0: talked about you brought this up on a previous podcast episode about how Noise is Off was originally written in the UK with you know, for the UK dialects with UK comedy timing. And then when they brought it to the US they changed it. They rewrote it so that way it fit an American audience and and the comedic expectation of an American audience,
1: right? Yeah, they were smart enough to make what was funny about it different. You know, in the UK, it's funny because they're bad actors and they're in this awful show. In the US, or at least in the movie version, you know, with, with all the big stars, it's it's that with some American sensibilities in, but it's also funny because they're really awful at doing British Farce, you know? Yeah. I mean And that's the but,
0: joke. Yeah. And I think I that mean, you actually have the opportunity with By Jeeves to do something like that, like they did with Noises Off.
1: That that would be interesting, you know, I think that if they were to revise it under that kind of lens, like bring in a British cast member or two. And the fact is is that these people at this church, maybe Bertie and Jeeves are Brits and they're doing this at, like, some church in, I don't know, you know, Schenectady, New York or something. You know what I mean? Or, like, <laughs> Sleepy Hollow. Well, uh, even
0: even staying with, like, the original Broadway cast, how Bertie was an American actor playing British, and then Jeeves was a British actor. I think that there could be something, especially because this, Jeeves and Wooster are playing with the idea of the class system in the UK, right? Right. So... There is this thing where in the UK, they make fun of the class system by showing that the upper class and the rich can't get along without the help, right? Right. Without the working class. Um, And they're actually kind of idiots and the working class have all the smarts, right? Like that's what this is playing on. And so I think it could be really fun if (laughs) if you had it where jeeves is the british actor and Bertie is the american actor and jeeves just keeps subtly passing comment on how terrible he is and playing a brit right like you could totally
1: that would be good bring that, would that be great. into it that would be i think so that good. could be fun <laughs> that, no i think there are ways and you know america surprises me sometimes i think of because i was totally caught up and in, into it you know when downton abbey uh, premiered in the united states i just remember the U.S. embraced it so much. And not that they didn't embrace it in the U.K., but I remember after it really became a phenomena in the United States, interviews with the cast, and they're like, we do costume dramas all the time. Like, back home, we're just, you know, we just, we're in that show. In the U.S., they're like, we're celebrities. We, we, people, they want to get our autographs and take pictures. So, th- you know, it always amazed me because I was obsessed with it. But it amazed me that Downton Abbey took off the way that it did here. So sometimes it, maybe it's just the right timing because yeah. it, they don't Americanize that. I mean, that is that is a that is a British costume drama like it is in Americans ate it up. We, we oh, we, yeah, we, and we I did think- it.
0: I think that now in the in the time of Netflix and Hulu and Prime and you know streaming services in general and the ability to share across country more. I mean right. things like Derby Girls,
1: which oh, is yeah the super Irish, popular here. Yeah, it's
0: so funny. It's great, right? And, and I don't
1: even know what they're saying half the time. <laughs> <laughs> Me it's either. so it's funny.
0: Okay. Um, but it's still funny. Because they know what they're saying, and you understand them. Um, Right. Right, but that kind of thing is constantly, there's this constant crossover now. And so Mm -hmm. I do wonder if if by Jeeves were to come back, if Andrew Lloyd Webber were to be like, we need some comedy after COVID. Um, And he was like, we're going to do it again. I, I do wonder if it would be more... Um, accepted in the sense that we now are more worldly ourselves as right. Americans, and we've been now opened up to more opportunity to know about that type of writing, right?
1: No, I think so. I think, you know, you're right. I think with these streaming services in particular, we've put down some of these weird cultural barriers that used to exist. I think of Chris Lilly. Are, are you a fan of Chris Lilly at all? You know, Summer Night's High, know who that is. Jemais, all of that. So he's a, comedian, uh, you know, down under and has these shows that when HBO started doing their on demand stuff, uh, maybe 10, 12 years ago, his shows became really popular in the United States. I remember when I would meet Australians and they would be like, do you even know any of our famous people other than Hugh Jackman and Nicole Kidman? I was like, oh, Chris Lilly," And they're like, how do you know who that is? Uh, Because but but there was this weird crossover with these, you know, streaming and on demand services that uh, I don't think we saw before. For. So, uh, and you know, what's well, also
0: COVID. Everybody has watched everything.
1: Well, and speaking of COVID, that's what I wanted to mention. Uh, Android Weber, when he was doing his shows go on, you know, the show goes on, or I think that's what it was called. At the beginning of the pandemic, he was releasing, you know, the filmed versions of all of his shows. He did release Jeeves. Uh, you know, by Jeeves was one of the shows that he did. And he was a little cheeky about it, you know, like, oh, I'm even going to do my biggest flop, you know? And, uh, but he did it. it. You know, I imagine that he wouldn't have done that if he didn't feel like there was some interest to it. Right. Like,
0: I mean, for diehard Weber fans, like they they know all of it as well. Right. You know, when you when you attach to a composer, you want to eat up everything they've done, which is part right. of it. But yeah, like you we, we were saying, with the excitement of Downton Abbey, you know, even I would say the excitement of Bridgerton, you oh, gosh, you know what I'm saying? Even though that was not written by Brits for Brits, but that sense of they love they love the English period piece. I do wonder now that we've ride this high, so to speak, I wonder if by Jeeves would have a shot now.
1: I p- post-COVID, I think, is a prime opportunity for something like this to happen. I mean, it's it's Andrew Lloyd Webber's like down and dirty musical comedy a farce. Yes. But, and like, I,
0: I think that if they added in some more slapstick and some more very much like Noises Off, if they added in some more physical comedy where you got some some of that, I think it could be really a lot of fun.
1: Well, and, and there's w-
0: would help American audiences attached to what's happening. And I think that there are now, like we said, we've had more farces on Broadway, even with Play That Goes Wrong, which is my everything. I think that there's now more actors in New York who are more comfortable and familiar with farce as well. Right. And English farce. We may find more success within
1: that right well do you think i I don't want to say stuck because i don't want to put that commentation on it but you know they've talked about reviving forum for years for james Mm. corden and it just hasn't happened do you think that do you think that this would have to have james gordon attached at least in the next look
0: i don't know if you've seen one man two governors but it's really good i know spectacular and he's Um, really good in it well and he understands this right this type of comedy i think that he would be great i just don't know who he would play
1: right because he's not really a birdie or a
0: He's not Bertie or Jeeves. I mean, he could easily be the other guy that's trying to impress the girl. And that's why Jeeves pretends to, like, break in and be a burglar in a pig mask. I'm still not completely clear on why the pig mask was chosen, but I'm here for it. Um, (laughs) And um, there's a pig in my bedroom. So, yeah, I don't know how how he would get it. I mean, you also have other options, Of people like you've got Tom Hiddleston, who I actually think would be really great as Jeeves. Oh, Um, yeah,
1: I would buy that. (laughs) Right. Right. I would buy that.
0: (laughs) He just is so great at, you know, backhanded compliments. We saw this with Loki. I mean, come on.
1: <laughs> I mean, you know who I really want to be Jeeves, but I think who? he's might be a little bit long in the tooth. Uh, no one's gonna know this reference. Maybe because he has done some bigs of Kevin Owers. I mean like <gasps> Jeeves. Kevin That's
0: Owers. Kevin Owers is, is Jeeves. Is the
1: epitome of Jeeves. Like yep. he is he is Jeeves. That's he is Jeeves. He is. Well, you know, and speaking of Downton Abbey, you know, Dan Stevens, who we learned in Beauty and the Beast, hi, you can sing. And would make a great butler. But there
0: so. I should I'm going to take a second, just a second. There is a difference between the butler and the valet.
1: Oh, yes. Very yes. big difference.
0: Yes. So Jeeves is a valet, and a valet is responsible for the person and everything that goes along with the person, which is why Jeeves always drives him. Jeeves helps him get out of all of these weird scenarios that he gets himself into, right? But a butler is actually someone who mans the house and helps and, like, is in charge of everybody else, right? So that's the difference between a valet and a butler.
1: So I'm going to need Dan Stevens to come be my valet so he can come take care of me. (laughs) On that note, Christina, I, you know, I think we've pretty much covered it. Like this is a, this is a fun, quirky little show. It's very unexpected for Angela Webber. You know, you think big bombastic cats, phantom, superstar, Evita. I mean, you know, I'd like to think Jeeves is up there too, but it's, 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 it's a quirky, it's a quirky, fun little show. And I'm so glad we got to talk about it tonight. Right? Absolutely.
0: Well, that's our show, everybody. Thank you so much for listening in on this episode of My Favorite Flop. I'm Christina Miller-Weston.
1: And I'm Bobby Traversa. And we just want to let you all know how much we love and adore each and every one of you. So many of you have found us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and have reached out and have also found us on the podcast services, you know, Spotify, Stitcher, Uh, Google and the big one, Apple, you know, Apple podcast, uh, and you've subscribed and you've written us some lovely reviews. And if you haven't done that yet, make sure you do, because then you are the first to receive our brand new episodes uh, every other Tuesday.
0: That's right. And don't forget after the Bows, which is every other, other Tuesday. That made sense, right?
1: Other Tuesday, other Tuesdays are after
0: the Bows. And we do those live. And that is a fun, conversation series it's a continuation of what we talk about on our episodes on the podcast uh but we encourage all of you to keep diving into flop history keep interacting with us we love hearing from you and with that i think we need to give them the clue for next week
1: okay the clue for episode nine, is nine. this.
0: episode nine
1: episode nine the clue for episode nine is betty buckley time daily and Angela Lansbury have all starred in professional productions of this musical.
0: Whoa, This sounds like an epic. Those are some epic ladies, man. Epic ladies and and
1: different ladies.
0: Very different ladies, which is also exciting. I like that.
1: It's it's a good one variety you'll have to stay tuned and make sure that you're looking at all of our social media channels twitter instagram and facebook because we post different clues on different channels you have to follow us everywhere
0: that's right and you can find my favorite flop anywhere you listen to podcasts
1: all right christina do you have something to send our guests off with tonight
0: like the bard said all the world's a stage except in a pandemic stay home wear a mask
1: bye Редактор субтитров А.Семкин Корректор А.Егорова